pray with me. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we are grateful to be in your house today. And Lord, as I deliver your word, I humbly ask that what I say reflects your will and is acceptable in your sight. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Genesis 4, when Cain kills Abel, and God, knowing exactly what had happened, asked Cain where Abel was. Cain responded with a question, Am I my brother's keeper? Well, the short answer to that question is yes. We are all brothers and sisters, and we are all called upon to help and to care for one another. The Bible has a myriad of references to our responsibilities to one another to do good. For example, Hebrews 3.13.16 tells us, But do not forget to do good and share, for with such sacrifice God is well pleased. Philippians 2.4 says, Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but for the interests of others. In Deuteronomy 15.11, God says to us, You shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and your needy in your land. And James reminds us that true religion is to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. Widows and orphans are actually a focus in the Old Testament. Widows are mentioned in the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version, 69 times. Orphans are mentioned 33 times. And strangers are mentioned 99 times. Often, orphans, widows, and strangers are mentioned together. So why is there a focus on this particular group of people? Are these the only groups that need to be helped? Not at all. But widows, orphans, and strangers represent the most vulnerable in society and the most in need of help. In ancient Israel, widows, for example, had no property or inheritance rights. When a husband died, a woman was left destitute. Orphans with no parents to support them were without resources and were prey to exploitation, much as children are prey to exploitation today. Strangers coming from somewhere else had no support systems and were often viewed with suspicion. In that day and age, a lot of questions were raised about strangers. Why are they here? Are they running away from justice? Are they going to cause us harm? Those kinds of views are still present today, as we know. But the references to widows, orphans, and strangers needs to be seen in a wider context. It needs to be seen as referring not just to those specific groups, but to all the vulnerable groups in society who need help. And that would include not just widows, orphans, and strangers in our days, but, for example, the elderly, the mentally ill, refugees, and you can think of many other groups who need our help. So we are to help our neighbors. We are told to love our neighbors, are we not? In fact, Christ sums it up best in the parable of the goats and the sheep when he says, The sheep are blessed 
For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was in prison, and you came to me. We are called by Christ himself to be there for our brothers and sisters. And I'm sure that each and every one of you is there for his or her brothers and sisters. But is this enough? Is that all there is? Are random acts of kindness all we have? Or are common acts of kindness all we can do? Or are we called upon to do even more? In 1939, a young American named Langdon Gilkey graduated from Harvard with a degree in philosophy. The next year, 1940, he went to China to teach English at Yangcheng University. Nice, nice first job to get. Unfortunately, what was happening at that time? There was conflict between Japan and China. So he was later imprisoned by the Japanese and sent to an internment camp in Weixian. As an aside, Weixian was the same internment camp where Eric Liddell was placed. Does anyone remember Eric Liddell? Well, maybe those in my generation and older will probably remember the 1981 movie Chariots of Fire. Eric Liddell was a 100-yard runner who in the 1924 Paris Olympics refused to run in the 100-yard race because it was run on Sunday, which was his Sabbath. He was a Sunday Sabbatarian. So he switched to the 400-yard race and he won that. We know that Sunday is not the Sabbath, but he operated with the light that he had at that time. He went back to China as a missionary. He was interned in Weixian internment camp, and he died there. That's an aside. But this internment camp was not like a prisoner of war camp. It was not where soldiers were tortured, killed, or forced to do hard labor without any food. As an internment camp for civilians from allied countries, missionaries, priests, businessmen, artists, and their families, it had barbed wire, it had guard towers, it had armed guards, but the Japanese basically left the internees to run the camp themselves. This worked, sort of. But there was always ongoing problems because there was a shortage of food. Water was scarce, medical supplies were almost non-existent, and sanitation was absolutely abysmal. Death rates were high due to a lack of sanitation, disease, and starvation. The maximum number of prisoners in that camp was 2,000. But when we got to the end of the war, there were only 1,500. But in January 1945, a remarkable event took place. A shipment of 1,550 food parcels arrived from the American Red Cross arrived at the camp. The Japanese commander decided to give one package to each inmate. There were 1,450 inmates, 1,450 inmates at the time. 
with the excess to be divided amongst the 200 Americans in the camp. Well, that sounds fair, right? One package to everybody. Everybody gets one. Everybody's happy. Unfortunately, in this case, a number of the Americans argued that since the packages came from the United States, they should be distributed only to the Americans. 1,500 packages for 200 Americans. What does that work out to? I'm not good at math. Needless to say, this caused a great deal of verbal and physical conflict in the camp, so much so that the Japanese commander decided to keep the packages while he sought guidance from Tokyo as to what to do with them. And during the next 10 days, the debate within the camp raged on. Finally, after 10 days, the Japanese did decide to distribute one package to each prisoner. Even then, according to one writer, some of the Americans publicly lamented the loss of their packages. Writing about this afterwards, Langdon Gilkey noted two things. First, at a time and place where there were many vulnerable people in need, there was no concern for justice amongst those who supported an inequitable distribution. So, yes, we are called upon not just to help others, but to do justice. Many of the Bible verses that I'd referred to in the Old Testament related to widows, orphans, and strangers refer to the need for justice. Isaiah 10 verses 1 and 2 state, Woe to those who decree unrighteous decrees, who write misfortune, which they have prescribed to rob the needy of justice, and to take what is right from the poor of my people, that widows may be their prey, and that they may rob the fatherless. Deuteronomy 10, verses 18 and 19, tell us that he, God, administers justice for the fatherless and the widow, and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt." It is clear from these verses and many others that God has a special consideration for the marginalized in society. We are to do good. We are to love our neighbors. We are to help those in need. But justice is also expressed in a much broader context. In Isaiah 61.8, God states, For I, the Lord, love justice, I hate robbery for burnt offerings, and I will direct their work in truth. Micah 6.8 tells us, He hath shown thee, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, love mercy, and to walk humbly in your God. Psalm 82.3 is a call to defend the poor and the fatherless, do justice to the afflicted, and needy. Deliver the poor and the needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. In fact, God's concern for justice was so great that it led him to give the following warning to his people, Israel. You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you afflict them in any way, and they cry out at all to me, I will surely hear them 
their cry. And my wrath will be hot, and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives shall be widows, and your children fatherless. Such a stern warning should make us pay attention. God's judgment is comprehensive and fair. But we need to look at human justice. And in a fallen and sinful world, we know that justice is incomplete, that fairness is lacking, that human beings will define good and evil in ways that give them an advantage over others. And while we may never have real justice before the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we as humans still have some innate understanding of the need for justice. Just as, though we are fallen, we still have some understanding through the grace of God of what is right and what is wrong. So usually we recognize injustice when we see it. We just need to do something about it. If the God of the Bible is the God who puts the world right, that is what we are called upon to do in our own circle of influence. Making justice possible in the world may, in fact, be an act of worship. I mentioned that Langdon Gilkey in his writings noted two things about the distribution in the Japanese prison camp, internment camp. The second thing that he noted was that those who argued most strongly for an unjust distribution were evangelicals, were people of God, people who one would have thought would have recognized what justice was. In fact, there is sometimes a tension between those who highlight personal morality, those who highlight worship, spiritual development, enhancing a relationship with Christ, moving along the path to righteousness, seeking God's truth, and those who consider that we have duties and obligations in this world. In my view, there's no incompatibility between those two things. We are called upon to do both. We are called upon to be both. And while we highlight such things in our church as the church's mission to spread the gospel, we cannot overlook or ignore the responsibilities we all have beyond simple worship. In Amos 5, verses 21 to 24, we read the following. I hate, I despise your feast days, and I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fattened peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. But let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Jesus makes a similar point in Matthew 23, verse 23, when he says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done, and not to leave the other undone. 
And James reinforces the words of the Master in James 2, verses 15 and 16, when he states, If a brother or a sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things that are needed for the body, what does it profit? We are called upon to take action, to do justice, because biblical justice is not a passive awareness of human needs, but rather actions taken to execute God's justice in an unjust society. And I close by drawing a parallel with Ezekiel 33. We are called upon to be on the watchtower. And if we are not watching, then the innocent blood is on our hands. Thank you and God bless.